Well, good morning, survivors of Ice Apocalypse 2021. How are you guys holding up? A little shell shocked. Uh, I was uh, refer- or talking to someone this morning and uh, just saying it seemed like, uh, like almost like a time warp went by since Christmas. It's just like, it doesn't seem like a week and, and a day has gone by already. But I uh, hope you guys had a good Christmas and, and made it on through. Uh, if you're not usually coming to Bethel, thanks for joining us today. And if you're one of our regulars, we're glad to see you too. So uh, let me pray and we'll get into God's word here. Lord, we uh, thank you for this day, this new year, that the uh, daylight's coming back to Alaska now, a little bit by little bit. Uh, and thanks just that we can have a fellowship to join and be a part of to hear your word. So uh, Holy Spirit, help us to hear well today for your glory. Amen. Uh, well, like I mentioned, uh, it was Christmas last week, as you guys know. I hope you had a great one. Uh, probably many of you uh, exchanged gifts as part of your traditions. I think that's a pretty typical thing to do with friends or family. Uh, we know that for us as Christians, this isn't really the focus of Christmas, giving gifts. Uh, but it's something we do. We remember the good gift God gave to us in Jesus, and we do it. And I'll say this, that um, when you do your gift exchange... If gift-giving is done well, it can generate some really sweet moments. Um, uh, We all know that a gift doesn't have to be flashy or expensive um, to be meaningful. Sometimes they're just right on. Uh, It's kind of like saying, you know, when someone gives a gift well, it's like saying, I know you and I appreciate you. Uh, This year, our family got a very good gift uh, from another family we know, uh, totally unexpected. And uh, someone gave us a wall decoration Uh, made out of metal like a license plate about the same size. And it had the beautiful words on it, Pismo Beach. Uh, Some of you guys know Pismo Beach in California there. It's a family beach for us, one that we've gone to for years and years and years. And my wife Holly went there as a girl uh, uh, when she was growing up with her family. It's a really special place to us, but it was a meaningful gift. It was not like art gallery, expensive or fancy, but our friends knew we have a beach-themed bathroom in our home. And they knew that we love Pismo Beach just because of all the times that it's come up in conversation. So when we got this, we thought, ah, man, they hit that right. That's just a really sweet gift. Um, I think a good gift is something we all long to give to someone else. Uh, But you probably noticed if you went shopping for your friends or family this Christmas, there are those on your Christmas list that are easy to shop for and you know immediately what to get for them. And there's always that one person where you're like, I have no idea what an appropriate gift would be, right? Uh, For me and my brother, uh, this hard person to shop for growing up was our dad. Uh, My dad was a pretty simple guy. I didn't have really any needs. He didn't really have any kind of standout hobbies that made it easy to shop for him. It's not like he was into cars or sports where I could just get him a sports jersey and call it done. Uh, So my brother and I were always a little bit stressed out shopping for Christmas gifts. So we wanted to give him something that would be meaningful, uh, but we felt like it was hit or miss. Uh, now, the one thing we did know about our dad is he's a bit of a history buff. And so I said, okay, he likes World War II. Let's get him another World War II book, right? And uh, was, even that was stressful because we never knew. Is this one that he's already read? Is this some, some facet of World War II he's even interested in? So we'd say, let's get him a history book and something covered in chocolate and just cross our fingers and hope it works out here. And the truth is, uh, our dad probably didn't care what we got him. He would have been happy with anything. Uh, but we cared. Uh, We wanted to give a gift given well, something that was meaningful to him. Uh, But sometimes you don't know what someone really wants, right? What do they really want? 
And this can be true with people that you're shopping for in your Christmas list. And I think sometimes we might even feel this way about God. I mean, have you ever kind of just sat down and thought about God and your relationship with him and said, well, God, what do you really want? And not in kind of in a broad sense of what does God want in the world, but what does he want in my life uh, out of my heart specifically? I mean, he's God, he has everything, everything is his, but he's called us to walk with him and to know him. And uh, it seems clear from scripture that he expects, or if I can put it this way, that he wants certain things from us. But brass tacks, what is it that God wants from our lives? Does he want us just to pray 90 minutes a day or to cut a big check out to Samaritan's Purse or some other missions organization? Uh, maybe he wants something really serious like serving in the nursery twice a month or going to Tajikistan as a missionary for the rest of our lives. Or the really big ask, maybe he wants us to finish the read through the whole Bible plan in 2022 on time without skipping the genealogies. That would be big. But our question here this morning is, well, what does God really want from us? What's a gift that would delight his heart? And this is the question that we're going to look at today. And it's an important one because we want to, I think most of us want to give a gift that delights him. We want to give a gift given well to God. And this, this question affects how, how we live out our Christian life. If we're clear on what God wants from our lives, it's going to change our priorities and our values and probably a few of our choices as well. So the passage we're going to look at today, it's in Mark's gospel. And Jesus gets into a disagreement uh, with some Pharisees. Now, the Pharisees thought that they knew the answer to this question in the particular situation they found themselves in. But Jesus had a differing opinion from the Pharisees and teachers of the law. And he gives them a correction, one that they needed to hear, one that his disciples needed to hear, and one that we need to hear too. Uh, so our game plan for today is uh, we're going to spend the bulk of our time just looking at this one question here. What does God want from us out of Mark chapter 7? And then very, at the end of the sermon, I'm going to very briefly hit on two kind of mini stories at the end of chapter 7 just to kind of push us through the chapter. I'm essentially going to skip them, uh, but I do need to cover them just as we move forward through the gospel here. But I want to keep things clear, so we're going to focus in on this one question here. So if you've got your Bibles, uh, please open up to Mark chapter 7, and we will be starting in verse 1, Mark 7, 1. Question, what does God really want from us? And again, uh, setting the stage here, there's a group of Pharisees who thought they knew the answer to this question. And so they show up to confront Jesus and his followers. Okay, Mark 7, verse 1 says, The Pharisees and some teachers of the law who'd come from Jerusalem gathered around Jesus and saw some of his disciples eating food with hands that were defiled, that is, unwashed. Pharisees and all the Jews don't eat unless they give their hands a ceremonial washing, holding to the tradition of the elders. When they come from the marketplace, they don't eat unless they wash. And they observe many other traditions, such as the washing of cups, pitchers, and kettles. So the Pharisees and teachers of the law ask Jesus, why don't your disciples live according to the tradition of the elders instead of eating food with defiled hands? Okay, let's pause there for a second with their question here before we hear Jesus' answer. Uh, so what's going on here? Uh, if you've been reading in Mark's gospel up to this point, 
you know, that he's been in the north of the country, most of the time near Galilee. And this group of Pharisees and teachers of law come from Jerusalem to seek Jesus out. And that's significant because you think Jerusalem, you think that's where the Jewish temple is. Uh, this is where the Jewish leadership, the Sanhedrin was. This is where everything important to Jewish life uh, and religion all came from was from Jerusalem. This was the big city. So when we hear that this group of Pharisees and teachers of the law came from Jerusalem, we got to hear it like this. A delegation's coming from the home office going up to this backwoods of Galilee to check things out because they've heard some disturbing things going on out there. Uh, I kind of think of it uh, like Jesus getting a tax audit, not something we want to think of at the start of a new year, but uh, there we're at, there we are. Uh, but they're coming to say, hey, is this Jesus guy doing things by the book, by the way that we do this in Jerusalem or not? And uh, the same grouping of teachers of the law and Pharisees came at him before in Mark's gospel, maybe not the same individuals, but the same groupings in Mark chapter three. And at that time, if you remember, they accused him of casting out demons by Beelzebul, by the prince of demons. So there's already some bad blood between Jesus and these two groups of people. So now uh, these Pharisees, these teachers of the law from Jerusalem come out to Galilee to pick a fight, as I'll put it, or at the very least to shame Jesus and his followers into towing the company line. And the particular issue that they focus on is a strange one to us. It's hand washing, right? I mean, it seems like an odd thing to pick on. Uh, maybe they didn't see anything else they could be critical of, or maybe this is just the first of many kind of infractions that they're going to call Jesus out on. Uh, but the bottom line is, in this situation, the Pharisees are going to answer this question of what does God really want from us as well, he wants clean hands, obviously. God wants things to be clean. He wants you to wash your hands by the procedure that the elders had established. And this is kind of the, the line of thinking here for the Pharisees, right? Uh, in the Old Testament, purity, uh, cleanliness is very important. They go, we even have in our culture, we say cleanliness is next to godliness. But they're saying, you know, your hands aren't truly clean, unless you wash them according to the tradition of the elders, the way that our people have set them up. They're saying, come on, Jesus, this is important because if you do it our way, everyone's going to see uh, that you're doing it the right way. They're going to know that you honor the tradition and the elders and the Jerusalem establishment. And since you're respecting authority, ultimately you're respecting God himself. They're going to be able to see that you are not some kind of independent rabble rouser, like they're saying, uh, and we'll be one step closer to putting these nasty rumors to rest about you. But uh, ultimately here, uh, the Pharisees and the teachers of the law were getting caught up in the externals, the appearance of godliness or cleanliness in this case, rather than true godliness or true cleanliness. And I th that's our first point here. Because I think that even though we don't struggle with hand-washing, we can fall into the same trap. Uh, like the Pharisees, we can get caught up in externals, the stuff that's visibly apparent, and think that what God really wants is that we look nice, smell nice, that we seem respectable on the outside. Now, in this passage, the teachers of the law and Pharisees, they were concerned about hand-washing, tradition of the elders. For us, we don't really have this kind of group of the elders that are over the, the universal church in the world. 
Uh, but I think what we have in uh, North America here for us up in Alaska is uh, the equivalent of the unwritten rules of Christian expectations. If you are a Christian, you will fill in the blank, right? And this could look like a lot of things. Uh, Christian expectations, if you want to look good, you come to church every Sunday, unless there's an ice mageddon going on. Uh, that's the one exception, right? Uh, when you come, you dress up a little bit nicer than usual. When you come, very important, play nice with your spouse, with your family. Put on a good face, even if there's drama at home. Don't drink, don't smoke, don't cuss. Uh, maybe if you're from an older generation, it might even add to that, don't dance, don't play cards. It's not, I'm not familiar with that personally, but some of you might have come across those. And uh, when I give off that kind of list of things, uh, I don't want to, um, you to mishear me here. Uh, regular attendance at church is a good thing if it's done with the right heart attitude. I mean, we're all here today and I'm glad we're here. Um, personally, I'm wearing fancier clothes than I normally wear. I'm normally a t-shirt and jeans kind of guy. And you might have good reasons to stay away from drinking or smoking or playing cards or whatever. But the problem really is for us when we fixate on the externals of our faith, the stuff that everyone can see so much that we end up overlooking the stuff on the inside that's even more important to God. Uh, this is the stuff that might be invisible to everyone but you and God. So really, it's an issue of uh, priorities. Uh, are we putting our, uh, are we majoring in the minors uh, and minoring in the majors, or what are we doing here? But what's really important to God, what does God really want from us? Uh, clean hands brought about by a certain hand-washing procedure? Does he want us to give attention to these unwritten rules of Christian expectations so we can cultivate a clean image, look good to those around us? Uh, does he want us just to focus on these externals, the stuff that makes us look presentable, respectable on the outside? Well, no, uh, we know. Jesus has a different answer to this question. So uh, their question to him again was, well, why don't your disciples live according to the tradition of the elders instead of eating their food with dirty hands, with these defiled hands? Verse six is Jesus's very uh, sharp answer. Uh, verse six says, he replied, Isaiah was right when he prophesied about you hypocrites, as it is written. These people honor me with their lips, but their hearts are far from me. I'll read that part again. These people honor me with their lips, but their hearts are far from me. They worship me in vain. Their teachings are merely human rules. You've let go of the commands of God and are holding on to human traditions. Okay, let's pause there. Again, uh, Pharisees come up from Jerusalem. They throw the first punch, uh, pull out the tradition of the elders, uh, these external expectations, and Jesus responds not by mentioning the tradition of the elders at all, but by quoting scripture from the word of God. If you think about this, this is actually kind of funny, right? Uh, the Pharisees had a reputation for knowing scripture and loving scripture, and yet uh, Jesus is hitting them where it hurts a little bit by quoting scripture to them, right? He's the one using it, not them. And this, uh, the center of Jesus's point to them is when he quotes Isaiah in verse six, and he says, these people honor me with their lips, but their heart is far from me. Their hearts are far from me. In other words, Jesus' answer to this question is, is that God doesn't want lip service or appearances. He wants something deep, something real. 
And uh, I think we all know what lip service is, right? It's when you say one thing, maybe you want to present a certain image, uh, that kind of thing. But when push comes to shove, our loyalties are elsewhere. Uh, I can give very good lip service to Brussels sprouts and say, well, boy, they sure are green and nice looking and inexpensive and low calorie and all these things. I would even wear a pro Brussels sprout t-shirt if one were available to me. And yet, when is the last time I actually ate a Brussels sprout? I have not sought out this vegetable in some years. Uh, All talk, no action. Uh, Maybe a much more common example of giving lip service is when uh, people say they're sorry, right? Do you want someone to just give lip service and just say the words? Or do you want them to mean it from the heart? I mean, you say this with, you know, your kids, right? You say, okay, tell your sister you're sorry. I'm sorry. Okay, no, you need to mean it, right? We care about what's going on in the heart here. Now, lip service is focused on the external, the appearance of things, but what God really wants, according to Jesus, is not the external, but God cares about what's internal on the inside. He doesn't just want our lip service. He wants the stuff in our hearts. And that's really the main point of this message and the answer to our question. So if you're a note taker, you better write down that word now. So I'm going to do another slide for you. Uh, what does God really want from us? What God really wants is our hearts. He doesn't want this surface appearance of piety. He wants the deep stuff within our hearts. And the rest of this passage is really just an expansion of that one thought. Um, now, one problem that came from the Pharisees and the teachers of the law focusing so much on the external appearances is that they ended up caring more about what people thought, in this case, the elders, uh, than what God thought. And Jesus actually calls them out on this particular thing. In verse nine, uh, it says, and he, Jesus continued, you have a fine way of setting aside the commands of God in order to observe your your own traditions. For Moses said, honor your father and mother. And anyone who curses their father or mother is to be put to death. But you say, if anyone declares that what might have been used to help their father or mother is Corbin, that is, devoted to God, then you no longer let them do anything for their father or mother. Thus, you nullify the word of God by your tradition that you have handed down, and you do many things like that. Okay, let's talk about this example. I think it's a little uh, foreign to most of us here. It's a lot of Jewish kind of stuff. But Jesus' basic assertion is that the Pharisees care so much about what people think, in this case, the elders, that they end up trampling on what God really wants from deep within. And his key example comes from Moses and the Ten Commandments. And again, you just got to kind of laugh. Quoting the Ten Commandments to a Pharisee, this is hitting where it hurts, right? Every Jewish kindergartner would know the Ten Commandments. And so it's like he's quoting the ABCs to them, right? Uh, But then on top of this, uh, you know, honor your father and mother from the Ten Commandments, he adds another quotation from Scripture as well to back it up to show how serious it is, in this case, not to honor your father and mother. He says, anyone who curses their father or mother is to be put to death. And his point here is that this is no small potatoes issue that he's dealing with here. This is no small infraction that uh, the Pharisees are dealing with. They're talking about something that potentially could carry the death penalty. But he says, in contrast, what do your elders teach on this particular matter? He says, well, your elders, they made this rule referred to as Corbin, in which people could dedicate property to God. 
so that no one could lay claim on it uh, because it was set aside and considered holy. Now, uh, here's the cultural thing that we have to understand about this Corbin bit is when you declared something to be Corbin or dedicated to God, you would still maintain management of that thing uh, during your lifetime. So what this could look like now in the 21st century is you could go through this uh, uh, ceremony of dedication and say, my pickup is now Corbin. Right? It's dedicated to God. My pickup truck is dedicated to God. So that so when someone comes to you and says, hey, can I borrow your pickup truck to move some furniture and that kind of thing? You go, ah, I'm sorry, brother. You can hear the organ, the pious organ music playing in the background, right? My pickup truck is Corbin. Dedicated to God. You may not use it, right? You you must look elsewhere for help. And so uh, what Jesus points out with parents is he's saying, if you have destitute parents uh, who can't pay the rent, you can actually justify not selling your stuff, not getting rid of your pickup or whatever it was, and still look somewhat respectable. You say, sorry, mom and dad. Gee, I'd really love to help you by paying your rent here, but uh, you know you always taught me to honor God, and I dedicated that truck to God, so sorry. And this uh, practice seems to be a little bit ridiculous to us, but that is absolutely the point here. Jesus is saying, you know, y'all have set up these ways to justify your own actions and you have this veneer, this outward appearance of godliness on the outside, outside, but your practice is rotten to the core as far as God is concerned. Um, We can get caught up on externals, appearances, how things look, but God cares about what's inside. And then Jesus turns away from this debate with the Pharisees teachers of the law, and then he addresses the crowd who's been listening in on this whole debate here, right? Verse 14 says, again, Jesus called the crowd to him and said, listen to me, everyone, and understand this. Nothing outside a person can defile them by going into them. Rather, it's what comes out of a person that defiles them. It's the same thing he's saying. He's saying, don't get caught up on the outside stuff, but think about what's going on inside. And after this brief statement to the crowds, he has to do a little bit more explanation to his disciples. They're not quite getting it yet, right? And so he continues on to verse 17. After he had left the crowd and entered the house, his disciples asked him about this parable. Are you so dull? He asked. Don't you see that nothing that enters a person from the outside can defile them? For it doesn't go into their heart, but into their stomach and then out of the body. And saying this, Jesus declared all foods clean. He went on, what comes out of a person is what defiles them, for it's from within out of a person's heart that evil thoughts come. Sexual immorality, theft and murder, adultery, greed, malice, deceit and lewdness, envy, slander, arrogance and folly. All these evils come from inside and defile a person. This is really the end of the scene. We're not really given much of a segue to the next part here. But Jesus is just rehashing to his disciples what he said to the crowds and really what he said to the Pharisees ahead of that. And the disciples are a little bit slow to understand. This is kind of a quirky thing from Mark's gospel. He shows them often in these middle chapters to be slow to understand. Um, I'm reading from the NIV translation and uh, they put it this way. Are you so dull? Uh, Actually, it's a little bit more emphatic even than that. It should be taken more like, Come on, guys, are even you all not getting this now? Um, And again, 
uh, it seems odd to us, but the point is, is that the disciples are a little bit clueless still at this point in their discipleship. But he mentions the heart explicitly again. He says, don't you see that nothing that enters a person from the outside can defile them? For it doesn't go into their heart, but into their stomach and then out of the body. He's repeating his same point again. It's getting a little repetitive here. God cares more about what's going on inside, more on the internals, not the externals. Uh, And then there's this very interesting uh, epic pronouncement in verse 19, uh, very shortly put. And saying this, Jesus declared all foods clean. Okay, Uh, That's a pretty potent statement for a Jew. means that the Jewish dietary laws were nullified. So uh, if you were uh, someone who harvests bacon, this was a great day for bacon, the best day ever in history for bacon. Uh, especially good after uh, chapter five of Mark when all those pigs go down into the, the water and die. Man, pork bellies, stocks were low, but bacon's back, baby. Uh, and I joke, but uh, these Jewish dietary laws, they served a purpose uh, for a time teaching the Jews to separate clean from unclean, but it's kind of like training wheels on a bicycle. Uh, you're not supposed to keep your training wheels on your bike forever. And uh, this is like what it was with the, the dietary laws. Hebrews 10, verse 1, you don't need to turn there, just listen. Author Hebrews writes, the law, the Mosaic law, it's only a shadow of the good things that are coming, not the realities themselves. So what he's saying here is uh, these dietary laws, they're a shadow of the real cleanness uh, or uncleanness And Jesus is teaching us in this passage that true cleanness or uncleanness is an internal thing, not an external thing. It doesn't come from your dietary choices. It comes from your heart. And God wants the heart. Um, So Jesus ends this passage by mentioning the heart for the third time in a row here. He gives this long and somewhat uncomfortable list of sins here. But verse 21 again, he says, it's from within, out of a person's heart that evil thoughts come. Sexual immorality, theft and murder, adultery, greed and malice, deceit, lewdness, envy, slander, arrogance, and folly. All these evils come from inside and defile a person. And it's interesting to note here, because again, the the scene ends right here. We're not given anything more, uh, kind of wrapping things up with the disciples. Jesus doesn't lay out the solution to all of these evil thoughts coming out of the heart here. And we know from the rest of scripture that Jesus himself is the solution to the evil in our hearts, right? Jesus lived for us. He died for us. He rose again from the dead. He sent the Holy Spirit to live with us and in us, to teach us uh, to give right offerings and good gifts from the heart to God. And this is a process that takes time. But the main point in this particular passage is about where we should fix our attention as disciples of Jesus. Should we focus it on the outside, visible, apparent stuff or on the inside stuff? Now, just for a minute to play devil's advocate here, it seems like there's, there could be some kind of immediate benefit to just working on the outside stuff, right? Because that's where everyone can see it. There might be some perks to looking really good on the outside. It could I don't know, bump your social credit store score or gain some popularity here. And so often that's where most of us, including myself, can give our attention to the stuff that people can readily see. But no one really knows what's going on in your heart except for you and God. 
So it's kind of easy for us to pass those things by because we say, well, ultimately, no one else may really see this. Well, the problem with this kind of thinking in our discipleship is that God does see and he knows and he cares what's going on in our hearts. And he's not impressed with the outward show if we're a hot mess with him. What God really wants from us is our hearts. And so that's the place where we need to grow in our discipleship. That's where we need to give attention to. So uh, we're going to wrap up a little earlier today than normal. We have the the Lord's Supper ahead of us still, but I do want us to briefly consider some applications of this um, pretty straightforward truth here. Since we know what God really wants from us is our hearts, how should that affect our discipleship? Um, I think three things. One, uh, it should remind us uh, that we don't live in the fear of man, mankind. We don't live in the fear of what other people think, how they judge us, uh, their thoughts about us, but we live in the fear of God, caring about the stuff that's important to him. Uh, Somewhere along the way, I've heard someone put it this way. It's like living for an audience of one. I just like the way that that was put. Uh, So that means we care about things like character, uh, not our clothing. Uh, We look at trying to develop mercy in our hearts and not sacrifice. and, And that just means that we go for the spirit of the law rather than kind of a rigid and cruel application of the letter of the law. We look to give God obedience uh, even in the things where only he and I or he, where we know and he knows that we're being disobedient and not excuses why we're the, the one exception to this in this one case and it applies to everyone else. Ultimately, it means that we live to please God, living by his standards and not by man's. Uh, second application to this uh, is if we're gonna give God what he really wants, we need to know his word well because this is how we know what God really wants. It's not just kind of a, you know, pulling it out of the ether or something like this. We look to his word. And we need to know God's word deeply. Um, when I was kicking this a thought around this past two weeks, I thought of what one of our former Christian thought form speakers, Corey Miller, said from here a few years ago. He basically says, you know, uh, there's three kind of levels to God's word. Uh, if I'm mangling his quote, that's sorry, sorry, Corey. I don't think you're listening. Uh, but he says, basically, there's this basic kind of precept level, like do this, don't do that. And above that, there's this principle level, right? Don't do this or that because it's connected to this bigger principle. But both of those are connected on a higher level to the level of person, the person of God. So when we have a rule in scripture, do this, don't do that, it's not just pulling it out of the blue, unrelated to anything. It's connected to a principle, which is connected to the character of God. And this upper level here of the person of God is very important when we're thinking about giving good gifts to God because we're showing that we know who he really is and we're honoring him, kind of like that gift of the Pismo Beach art thing, right? We're giving him something that he really wants that he's revealed to us in scripture. So I'll give you one example here. Uh, Bottom base level, the precept, don't commit adultery. Pretty straightforward here. But the principle above it is, is that lust itself is destructive and bad, even if it's not fully acted on to the utmost, right? Jesus says this in the Sermon on the Mount. Anyone who looks at a woman lustfully has already committed adultery with her in his heart. But above this, both the precept and the principle are connected to the person. Who God is in his character is uh, exemplary of marital fidelity and loyalty. So these are not just rules in a vacuum, but all these things are all related to the character of God. So by seeking purity of the heart, in this case, we're honoring who God is 
and giving him a gift that he really wants. Uh, now, wrapping up here, I think that the biggest application for all of us is just to have a sit down with God and have a little heart-to-heart conversation. Uh, David, uh, King David in Psalm 139 puts it this way. He writes in the Psalm, search me, God, and know my heart. Test me and know my anxious thoughts. See if there's any offensive way in me and lead me in the way everlasting. And what I'm saying here just explicitly is, is that one application for us is to take some time and just do a little introspection in prayer and look at the stuff deep in our own hearts that just God and we know about and the stuff that's not so easily seen on the surface. And uh, I imagine many of you have been there before, maybe done that a few times. And it can be messy, it can be uncomfortable and even embarrassing. But you just go, God, you know, where's my heart here? And uh, the second part of that is please help, right? Uh, now, it might be something different for each one of us, but I encourage you, uh, we're entering, or we've actually already entered a new year, 2022. Uh, this is the time for new starts. Uh, some people do resolutions. But just kind of go to God in prayer and say, God, where's my heart at these days with you? What's a, gu- a gift that I can give you? Uh, a gift of the heart, one that's gonna honor you and appreciate you. And it might be some, some of the harder stuff. It's, it's easier to say, well, yeah, I'm gonna you know, read through my Bible app this year. But it's a little bit harder to say, I'm gonna forgive that one person when I've been with, withholding forgiveness. Or maybe it's uh, looking for a real reconciliation, not just one on the surface, not one that just looks good uh, to those on the outside, but a real reconciliation. Those are hard fought for. Um, maybe it's purity and not just purity of actions, but purity of the heart and the mind. Or maybe as we have our sit down with God, we discover that he draws our attention to a person or a thing or maybe a hope or dream that we have that we've kind of elevated and put on a pedestal above where we've put God. We need to take that idol down and put God in his proper spot. And these are kinds of gifts are costly. And if you've been there uh, and done this kind of soul searching before, you know it's not like you just push a button and uh, instantly make them happen. We need God's help. And that's why I think that even King David prays in Psalm 139, after he says, search my heart, he says, and lead me in the way everlasting. We need his help. Specifically, if in the New Testament, we have the gift of the Holy Spirit where the Holy Spirit helps us to walk it out. Saying, God, it's a mess in there and I know I can't do it on my own but I am willing to be willing. Lead me in the way everlasting. This is how we give a gift to God that he really wants. Uh, well, that's a lot to chew on. And, and that's basically the sermon. Um, real briefly, I mentioned at the beginning of my, my sermon, that I have to hit two things at the end of the chapter really quickly, just as we push on through Mark's gospel here. Uh, two stories that we're gonna skip. Uh, first one uh, in chapter seven, Jesus casts out a demon, which he's done before. Second one is he heals someone, which he's done before. Uh, what kind of makes these things unique in the end of chapter seven is Jesus is doing them in Gentile territory. So the connection with what we just read is the theme of unclean, uh, you know, uncleanness. Gentiles were considered unclean by the Jews. And here is the Jewish Messiah working these miracles among these unclean, Jew, uh, these unclean Gentiles. Um, and both of these stories point out that whoever this Jesus guy is, is that the blessings of his ministry are overflowing even now, uh, not post-Pentecost, not in the book of Acts, but even now 
Uh, they're overflowing into the lives of Gentiles and they can't help and be blessed. Jesus is breaking through this Jewish border wall even now as Messiah interrupting into the world. And this is Mark's way of showing us right now uh, in his gospel that this is no small Messiah. Uh, he's taken Messiah up a notch. And this whole question of who is this Jesus guy comes to a head uh, next week in chapter eight. So let me pray and then we'll move into the Lord's Supper here. Lord, uh, you have given so much to us. Life, create us in your image, salvation. Uh, we want to give you gifts that are good, that are truly delights to you. Help us to do that. We know we can't do it on our own, but help us to do it rightly. Uh, guide our hearts too as we turn to uh, this fellowship with you and with each other uh, in your supper. In Jesus' name, amen. Uh, just as we, uh, before we have uh, our folks uh, hand out uh, the bread and the juice to you. I'll give just words of instruction. Uh, if you are a Christian, a believer in Jesus Christ, you believe he uh, lived for you, died for you, rose again from the dead uh, for the forgiveness of your sins, you are welcome uh, to join us in the sharing of the Lord's Supper. Uh, if you haven't yet uh, made a profession of faith or done that, we just ask that you let the, the trays pass you by. Uh, we're gonna just do one passing by of the trays. It's gonna have two cups. It's a double cup with the bread on the bottom, the juice on the top. So uh, just take those, kind of uh, reflect on what Jesus has done for all of us here. And then I'll come up and we'll share some words and share uh, the bread together. And then after that, we'll do the same with uh, the juice. But uh, let's turn our hearts to him as they pass out the elements. <laughs>